Episode 49, Making the Most of Provider Time. Today, I speak with Jeff Paris from Everseat. American healthcare entrepreneurs and executives you want to know, talking. Relentlessly seeking value. As they say, time is money. And that is especially true when you're talking to someone who effectively bills by the hour, like a healthcare provider. Today, I speak with Jeff Paris from Everseat. They have created a really slick way for providers to announce to their patients at large, with certain business roles, of course, but to announce that there is a a same day or near-term appointment that is opened up. And patients who need quick appointments then have a, a really simple way online to get on the schedule. And providers don't need to worry about empty appointment slots. My name is Stacy Richter, and this podcast is sponsored by Franklin HealthCom. Welcome to Relentless Health Value, Jeff. Thank you. Let's talk about Everseat. And you are the founder. My title is co-founder and CEO. I have a terrific and enormously valuable co-founder whose name is Dr. Brian Kaplan. And so we founded this together and I run the the company the day to day. I am the chief executive officer. What is this company that you co-founded? We co-founded Everseat principally as a, a really efficient supply and demand optimizer. What that really means in the end is that we're paying attention to a two-sided market. Uh, On one side of that market are providers of care. In this case, healthcare could be people in a small private practice like a dermatologist or an ophthalmologist or a large institution like like a hospital or health system. Um, And that's one side. They They have supply in the form of appointments and effectively access points, how to get in. On the other side of the equation is the is the patient uh, or the consumer, and they have demand. What all of these parties have are really busy lives, and so there's so much movement and schedule change, and people get stuck at work or you know stuck in traffic or bad weather. And so Everseat was initially designed to help drive efficiency so that supply could find demand and people could find appointments. And I think what's really interesting about that is that it puts a sharp point on the fact that healthcare providers sell time that you know time is the unit of value that needs to be protected if you will or or used to its fullest in order for it, business to be viable it's true i think increasingly so the value of that time commands some sort of premium because there are competing factors that pull on that time. In some cases, there are third parties that place differing values on that time. I'm speaking here specifically about certain insurance coverage. And so just inevitably, if the rate of of reimbursement on a certain visit or or procedure goes down over time, um, sometimes the providers are forced to be innovative and entrepreneurial to, to figure out how to maintain or maximize that unit of time. And so it is, it is a very precious commodity. And, and indeed, you know, that's, that's what we're trying to um, work our way into the relationship there. Well, I have a, a couple of comments and questions that I would like to continue that kind of line of thinking. However, in the meantime, 
maybe what we could do is just level set on exactly whatever seat is. Say I am a provider and I realize that I have unfilled appointments. In other words, someone cancels at the last second and I find myself playing uh, uh, solitary. What is, how does Everseat fill that need? I think that's a very real example that, that you gave. Everseat at its core is really a software platform. When you, as a provider, sign up, when you become interested in using it, you register on this platform. And what they would do is they could use that tool to, to announce or post. We sometimes use the word post, like P-O-S-T, that there is an open appointment today at 3. That posting can be done manually, which is really easy. It takes about two mouse clicks. Or our platform can tie into your practice management system. And that is really where the efficiency gets exciting. If, if no human is required, if no office staff is required, and our Everseat platform can just read into your practice management software and see that you have a noon open and a 2.30, um, it becomes efficient and um, the results are, are pretty compelling. Then what happens is that that post is sent out to all of the patients associated with that practice. And if anyone wants to come in or fill that 3 p.m. slot, it's kind of first come, first serve. Is that how it works? Uh, it is. There are a couple of nuances that are important because we, what we're hoping to avoid here is, is sort of these mass announcements or these blasts where you know, the announcement would go out to 2,000 people or 3,000 people. If you look at a larger practice, they very well likely have over 10,000 patients in their database. So if there's an open appointment, let's say later today, what you don't want to have is the announcement go out to 10,000 people because probably 9,900 of them don't need an appointment today and that would potentially be annoying or perceived as spam type announcement. So we, we let the patients control and designate when and, and from whom they want to receive notifications. So basically, Stacey, if you uh, saw your dermatologist on Tuesday of this week and they happen to also have an opening at 3 o'clock today, you probably don't need to get that notification. You just saw the provider. You're in a good place. You just saw the, you know, the doctor a couple days ago. So it, it doesn't go to everyone. It, it, it really um, Part of the beauty of Everseat from the patient side is that the patient can control who they get notified from and, I should say, from whom they get notified and, and when, and they can effectively digita uh, digitally raise their hand. You're sort of digitally putting yourself on a wait list without the practice ever knowing. I know that Everseat, I mean, it's very obvious that, that Everseat is a very elegant solution that can work with some very sophisticated internal business processes such that a, like a provider would, would typically have, you know, they're trying to, exactly like you said, it, it has to interface with their PMS system, for example. On the other hand, other businesses like salons, for example, have had probably less elegant versions of, of something like this for years and years. It is very rare that a physician is is using a tool like this. Why is that? I think there's a there are layers of answers here that you know one could explore. I think at the um, at the core, you know, maybe I'll give you a few. I think one, it's it's complex, and so you know you can't go into this without having a deep understanding of how healthcare works and have access to people that are willing to help you navigate the path. I mean, one, one answer is it's complex. A second answer is I think healthcare is just a bit behind, but that's changing. Before meaningful use and, you know, kind of some of the recent changes over the last five years, a lot of people kept uh, paper schedules and didn't want to go 
to practice management software or EMR, either because of the complexity or the costs associated with it. Well, that's changing now. You see patient portals being mandated. Again, that's, these are all new trends. But I think healthcare is a little bit of a late adopter. If you look at travel or lodging, you know, they were doing these things 15 or 20 years ago. And I think we're very careful not to compare the two too directly, Stacy. But there's some really best practices that we can pull in to the healthcare world. We, we're not saying booking an appointment with your neurologist is the same as booking a flight to Denver. Of course, that's not the same. But there are some nuances about how the process works that I think we can borrow. And that, that's where we feel Everseed is, is playing a key role. It's probably just another ramification of this consumer-driven healthcare that always in the past, the words consumer and healthcare probably were never used in the same sentence. But as soon as you put those two words together into the same sentence, what begins to happen is things that consumers expect and even demand uh, in this in the current environment suddenly become equally demanded by healthcare. It's true. And, you know, there's, it, there's a very delicate line. And I think it's important to be mindful of it and to always respect it. You know, people that are healthcare professionals have gone through tremendous training, grueling hours, often impossibly long, you know, sets of training. And so sometimes you, you do want to look at it in its own category. And I think that's appropriate and fair. But just being mindful of the other side of that equation, the consumer side, the on-demand economy, the economy of now, the economy of finding things from mobile, you can't ignore that. And so what we're trying to do is really blend that together just enough so that it works for both sides, the provider and the patient, but still not, not diminishing the complexity and the importance of healthcare. It's, it's not the same as, as booking a dinner reservation, and no, no one would ever argue that it is, but some of those processes are really efficient. And so we think in healthcare that we should learn from them. Someone once described healthcare to me as the only industry where one person orders from the menu, one person eats the dinner, and someone else pays for it. What strikes me based on what you just said is that before consumer-driven healthcare, really the customer of a provider practice was actually the insurance company, not necessarily the patient sitting in the chair. In other words, the bulk of the expenditure, you know, if, if, a, if a provider looked at their receipts, you know, where their, their paycheck was coming from, the bulk of it would be coming from insurance, not necessarily from patient copays. You know, obviously that's starting to shift. And I wonder if things like this, which are very appealing and, and not only help maximize, you know, let me just take a step back. Where I really see Eversee having an impact on the consumer experience is not only on the on-demand, you know, that if I need an appointment now, I understand. I don't have to call the doctor's office and get put on some waiting list. But it would seem to also enable a physician to minimize the practice of triple booking in order to make sure that their time was filled and then making all the patients wait. Is, was that, is that an untoward leap? <laughs> No, no, I think I think that's that's accurate. I mean, I think really the the practice of overbooking, you know, I think has a place. Uh, I think uh, you know I'm a big believer in everything in moderation, and so the practice of overbooking probably has a place. The I've always believed that when you see people waiting in the waiting room for five, ten, fifteen minutes, no big deal. But when people are sitting in there for twenty, thirty minutes, 
there becomes a value statement that is sort of almost, it's almost unsaid, but there's a value statement that says the provider's time is more valuable than the patient's time. And the, the provider doesn't think that directly. And, and I think most of the providers really value the time and the relationship they have with their patients, but they get backed up. Other people arrive late. And before you know it, People can be waiting. So we sort of feel like, yes, Everseat is one tool among a portfolio of many. And we've seen some other great tools out there that evaluate data on lateness and no-shows and might even tell the practice when to double and triple book. I think that's extremely exciting. And it's also a statement that we're sort of saying, hey, Everseat's part of a portfolio of tools that modern practices should use. We're not the only solution There's some other really smart tools out there that help people make informed decisions about double booking and the like. So so I do agree there's a place for it, but it just has to be handled in moderation. I do feel like the topic that we're talking about far exceeds the provider condition and probably starts to bleed into the human condition. And I say this because I, I recently had a couple of meetings internally within our company uh, about being late to meetings. You know, everyone thinks to themselves, oh, I'm just going to be 10 minutes late to this meeting. I'm really busy. I need to finish this sentence or I can't lose my train of thought or I'm, you know, driving in the car and I, uh, you know, I, I just I didn't plan my day well. They kind of regard them being 10 minutes late. They don't really think about how that impacts other people. And it was interesting because I sat down and I said, Look, I mean, we, similarly to providers, what our, what our product is, is, is our time. So you can put a value on every minute. So if you're 10 minutes late to a meeting and there's four people sitting in that meeting that are waiting for you for 10 minutes, how much is 10 minutes of that person's time worth plus 10 minutes of that person's time plus 10 minutes of that person's time? You know, you just cost the overall organization that much money. It's like how many times does that happen in a given day? Like this is thousands and thousands of dollars a year. You might as well be be stealing office supplies. Put a really blunt point on it. It's true, and I think the interesting nuance there is in the office environment when that starts to happen. That chronically late person, I think, uh, loses their internal political capital. They probably lose some of the internal respect because, just like you said, if if you're chronically late and you're sort of not showing respect for your coworkers, you build maybe some some resentment or other, you know, kind of negative feelings. And I think with healthcare, it's a little bit as if, you know, the practice can get away with it. No one wants to do it. No one, no one really seeks to be late. And I, I sincerely believe that. But because the service is such a, such a need and it's, it's a critical need, even if the patient has some frustration, they, they still tend to, to need that service. And they could shop around for other providers, but that becomes time consuming and the cost of switching is high because they have your medical records and your history. So uh, I, I really do, I see your example, and it's, it's an interesting dynamic, because in healthcare, even if people are, are waiting for long periods of time, they're not always necessarily going to switch. It's funny, because we've had, I had a, a guest on, Dr. Sunny Munn, who works for a company that does patient surveying. So after a patient leaves a practice, they immediately send patient surveys. And although wait times was not the number one criteria, it actually was really high. It was like in in the top five, it was in the short list. It's definitely something that if a patient is evaluating their provider, they're definitely cognizant of. I would also assume, and and maybe you can... um, 
expound on this a bit, but I would also think just the Affordable Care Act's emphasis on patient satisfaction might also be propelling the need for providers to figure out some of the things that you've been talking about. We definitely agree with that. And in fact, we see it almost, I want to use the word either all the time or consistently. We see it consistently at the very large institutions like hospitals. They are focused on so many other metrics than just the P&L. Look, everyone cares about the bottom line, and some of these institutions are actually for-profit. I was at an organization yesterday in Boston that is a for-profit hospital. Others have different uh, internal economic structures, but in the end, they care about these other factors because there are HCAP scores, there are patient satisfaction scores. They're looking to cut back on metrics uh, with regard to readmission rates or visits to the uh, emergency department. All of these are critical, and they, they stem outside just the basic P&L. So we do think that Everseat has a substantial impact on some of those factors because patients are being asked questions. Hey, did you get good access? Did you have to wait a long time? How easy was it to book your appointment? Did you have to wait on hold? How was the office staff? All those factors are, are starting to become increasingly measured. So I, I do agree with your observation. I am just totally riffing here and, and have no basis for this whatsoever. <laughs> but I, I do know that as more and more digital natives start to enter the, you know, the age where they start making their own appointments or as more and more people who are used to doing many things online get involved, it becomes onerous to make a phone call. So the fact that, I mean, I was actually doing this the other day. I was I was thinking about making a, a restaurant reservation and there was one that I had to actually pick up the phone and call and then another one that had online booking. It didn't even occur to me to pick up the phone and make a call. I was just like, oh, I don't have time for that. I'll, I will just use the online service. Do you also see that mindset entering the healthcare space to the extent that having a service like Everseat where it can, it can totally be managed online is, is perceived as a great benefit? Yeah, we do. We, we definitely do, Stacey. And I'll say two things about that observation. One, you're, you're right. People are just becoming increasingly accustomed to using either the internet or mobile to take care of some of these planning events, appointment booking, transactions. It's not only the millennial generation, but people that are well into their 50s and 60s. They're doing things from their phone. You see Apple and Samsung just release much larger phones. This is really appealing to people that are in, you know, kind of bordering on the um, baby boomer population, they, they can do things from their phone and they do. They all have devices. And I read a piece recently about the wired retired. You know, there's occasionally this kind of um, incorrect myth that people over the age of 50 don't use smartphones or internet. And it couldn't be further from the truth. There's a very strong, strong data that indicates that people really up to the age of low 70s are on their smartphones all day long. I think that's one key feature. The other area that I think I should just point out for a moment is unlike a restaurant reservation or let's say something fun like a spin class or a workout, healthcare is, is deeply personal and sometimes it's private. And so you're, if you're sitting in the office environment, and a lot of our offices these days have open work environment, fewer walls, mostly cubes with lower walls, and it breeds communication, it breeds culture. We think all oh, that's positive, but it's really hard to get on the phone to book an appointment with your GI doctor or your OBGYN or your you know, mental health specialist. You don't want to talk to someone that's very personal. So 
If you can do that in silence through your mobile phone, pick the provider, pick the time, book the appointment, and never have to open your mouth, we think that that's a nicer and more comfortable experience from the patient's perspective because there's people around you and they don't necessarily need to hear some of the personal planning that you're making uh, during the day. Speaking of privacy, are the communications, are your communications HIPAA protected? They are. And uh, it's an important question and one that we get asked almost every day. All communications are HIPAA compliant. We sign a business associate agreement with every organization that we work with. We also uh, have made certain that we have the highest level of data encryption. And we actually review this every six weeks. So we have some third-party encrypted services that are really robust and all the data is encrypted both in transit and at rest. Whether I'm sending a communication or a text from one person to another, or it's at rest just on my dashboard in my database, they're encrypted 100% of the time. What other questions do you get asked when you go into a provider for the first time or you're talking about Everseat to a provider? Are there certain things that they uniformly tend to be interested in or concerned about? I could think of a couple that I'll just share with you. They ask about the identity of the person booking the appointment uh, when it's not necessarily the patient that they're booking it for. So this is huge in the pediatric world or orthodontists or adult children that are dealing with aging parents. So if I have a father who's 88 years old and he has maybe diabetes or he has Alzheimer's, I might be doing a lot of his healthcare management. In an average household, let's say there's three or four children, often one of the parents, let's say the mom, is the chief health officer in that home. And so if she's booking an appointment for her daughter, let's say at the allergy doctor, the allergy practice needs the daughter's information when they book the appointment. It's not helpful just to have the mom because the mom is not the patient. So that's one of the questions. And we built, uh, we built a technology and that enables the decision maker here, let's say it's the mom, to add her entire family, including aging parents, siblings, partners, spouses, even pets for veterinary services. And that's a patent pending process that we're really excited about. So that's kind of one question we get. We always get the question about price. That's an important one. That pricing information is listed on our website. We're not looking to make an enormous amount of money off of one practice. Our goal is really a scale-based model. So we'd rather have 500 practices in, let's say, Philadelphia than just have 10 practices and make a lot of money from them. Um, other questions we get are, you. oh, how do we let our patients know? A lot of times a practice will say, well, this is great. I'm going to sign up. How do we let our patients know about this? How do we get the word out into the community? And we have about 10 or 12 ways that we help them. We do it with social media. We develop and launch email announcements for them. We put banners and widgets on their website. We also change their after-hours voicemail, and this is really effective, and it's free. We just change their message to, good evening, the office is currently closed. We open tomorrow morning, let's say, 8 a.m. If this is an emergency, please call 911. And if you're looking for last-minute open appointments, please download the uh, free Everseat mobile app. So that's after-hours voicemail. We do some other nice in-office tools like posters, decals, table tents, and the like. So I guess, Stacy, that's one more question that we get to is how, we, how do we notify our patients? Which I can see is a, is a major part of what is really important. If you're trying to fill a last-minute appointment, the reach that the practice has into their patient base, both quantity and quality, I could see would be a rate critical as to the success of the operation. 
That's right. And, and hence the importance of some of these network effects, which is why when we launched our business, we're really focused on eight or 10 key cities because once you start to develop a little bit of a snowball of momentum, there are some dentists that have it, then some optometrists, then some primary care, then a derm, then a neurologist, then an OBGYN. And before you know it, patients are starting to have the mobile technology on their phone because they heard about it from one of their providers. And so the word gets out there that more and more people are using it, and it, and it really does build a, a pretty powerful network effect. That's actually a really interesting business strategy to very much focus into certain geographical locations so that you get a critical mass or you kind of have that quantum, the ability to have that quantum spread within a specific marketplace, especially if you're asking them to download an app. It's true. It's important. It's not to say that the uh, the platform won't work in a remote area. We actually had a doctor sign up. This is a true story in Anchorage, Alaska, and we clearly never did any marketing there. We don't have a lot of users there, and it's not on our near term, you know, radar, obviously. But if the practice does a good job of, of informing their existing patients, you can have tremendous success in a um, small market like that. That is more the exception than the rule. We look at those stories and we smile. We get very, very happy. But that's not part of our business plan. We're really going after building networks in very large markets and then scaling from there. I could see that. You know, you're absolutely right. It's kind of Pareto's principle to to some degree. But it's an interesting business strategy that I really hadn't necessarily thought of. I think a lot of times when people have businesses with with online marketing as a major marketing channel, we forget that geography matters. It does. It, it does and it helps a lot. It, you know, density really matters. I mean, as I said, there's there's no reason that this won't work in Anchorage and we have great data to show that it does. Everything is trackable because it's either tracked through the web or through the analytics on the mobile side for our app. But the density in, you know, just you could name 20 cities, Chicago, New York, Philly, DC, Boston, Dallas. It it just it's so much easier and more powerful. So we're we're very excited about that and that's really part of our our model these these outlier regions are are great case studies uh, but it that's not the core focus. I just ask you one question because you might have some insight just relative to the overall temperature of the market. Do you feel, and this is probably not a fair question, but I'm kind of asking anyway, do, do you feel that most providers these days, be they an IPA, you know, a larger organization or, or, or a smaller one that does have direct business relationship with their patient, do you feel that most providers are starting to really recognize the importance of solutions like yours? Or do you find yourself, for example, you know, so say I'm a, a marketing agency. Do I have to convince someone on the value of marketing and then sell my services? Or do they already understand the value of marketing? So if I go in as an agency, I just simply have to sell my own company. How does that look from, from your perspective? Do you need to convince someone of the value of providing these kind of customer solutions and in and of themselves and then sell your company? Or is it that com just completely self-evident at this juncture? I would probably say 75% of the time, no. What I mean is, in this case, three quarters of the time, people that we talk to understand the concept instantly and believe in it. And in one way or another, they've used really efficient self-serve tools to book something. 
It could be Open Table. Obviously, that's a, a terrific example. Uber is a great example. Um, just, you know, you don't have to call a taxi. You don't have to call a car service. You just push a button. So I would say 75% of the time, people, people see it and get it. And so in those cases, the barriers are really not helping them get bought in on the concept or to get philosophically comfortable with it. They're already there. And so then your battle becomes more about getting on their radar. It's a busy practice. They have other, other items that they're focused on, other expenses that they need to incur, other distractions that are sort of taking up their time. They, they truly get what we do. And most people look at it and think it's really attractive and efficient. They, it's, it's clean. It's easy to understand. Uh, but they're just distracted by other things. And so then it is up to the sales executive to really win them over and, and get on their agenda. In about 25% of the time, you do get some people that occasionally say, nope, we run a boutique practice. Everyone here gets reached out to by phone. We also send a car service to pick them up at home. Or my patients are too old. No one even uses a mobile phone. These are these are broad generalizations and probably not really accurate. But there there is a, a group, I'll call it 25%, that just say, nope, not for us. We run a we're old school. We send postcards in the mail to remind you, and that's fine. I think there's certainly the nice thing about healthcare is that there are really over a million providers in the United States, and so no one's gonna bat a thousand. And and we think the that the category of people that do understand it is big enough that there's room for for companies like ours to succeed. If someone is interested in learning more about Everseat, where should they go? I would say the best place to go would be our website. It's literally www.everseat.com. There's information about the platform. There's some really helpful videos, and I think the videos are great explanations. They're short, and that's usually in the footer of our website. Those are probably the best places to go. Thank you so much for being on the program today, Jeff. It's my pleasure. Nice talking to you. Links to everything discussed during the episode today can be found at RelentlessHealthValue.com. I'll tell you the other thing that you will find at RelentlessHealthValue.com, and that is a way to subscribe to the show. If you subscribe... The cool thing is that you don't have to remember to go to the website every week to download the new episode. It will automatically be sent to you in one of two ways. The first way is you can type in your email address in the, there's a a sidebar on the right hand side of the website where you will find a place that you could type in your email address and then you will get an email once a week with a, a link to download the episode. So that's one way to go. The second is is also in that same right-hand sidebar on the Relentless Health Value website, you will find a large orange dot. If you click on that dot, then you'll get taken to a place where you can click on the subscribe button in iTunes. If you click on that, then each week your iTunes will automatically download the episode, which you could choose to listen to on your computer or on the podcast app on your mobile phone. If you enjoyed this episode, please, I beg you, uh, it would be really, really helpful if you would rate and review the show either on iTunes or interact with us on Twitter. Our uh, Twitter handle is Relentless with only one S, health. 
So Relentless with Only One S Health. I would love to hear from you. We would find it very inspiring over here at the Relentless Health Value podcast. I thank you so much for tuning in and so much for spending the time with us. Thank you.